joyful we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. John chapter 15. So today is um, the second Sunday in September. How many of you look at it and you're like, man, this year has taken so long to get from January to September? Any of you? Any of you think it's been a long year? Nobody's had a long year? Well, that's good. And I'm glad no one's had a long year. How many of you are like, this just feels like a normal year? Any of you? No? One of you. Okay, how many of you, you're like, this year has gone by so fast? I remember the first time, I was in fifth grade, I remember the first time that I got to the end of a school year, and I was like, man, that was quick. Like, my, I, I, my concept of time as a child, you know, was a lot different than my concept of time as an adult. But I remember getting to the end of fifth grade. Fifth grade was an interesting year for me because we moved from Savannah, I'm sorry, from Florence to Savannah over the summer. So that year I went to a new school. I had to make new friends. We started, you know, everything was new that year. And I remember dreading that year coming into, you know, newness was not, newness is not something that I did real well with at all. It just just wasn't my thing. Um, So I was really nervous going in. But I remember getting to the end of the year, I'm like, this year has flown by. And every year since then has flown by faster and faster and faster. It just seems like there's something about our in, in, internal clock that as, um, as we get older, time seems to pass faster, doesn't it? I don't know why it does that, but it, but it just seems to be that way. So as you though think about it being uh, September, we're in the last kind of quarter of the year, we're in the last part of the year. I want you to look back over the year that you've had so far and ask yourself a question. What have I accomplished? What have I accomplished? Uh, we, we, tend to, um, we tend to set New Year's resolutions. My New Year's resolution every year for the past few years is to not make any resolutions. That way, by the end of the year, I accomplish exactly what I've set out to accomplish, right? I've nothing, nothing left to accomplish. But what, what have you accomplished this year? I want you to think about that for a moment. What have you accomplished this year? You know, uh, technology is an interesting thing. If you want to know what you've accomplished, many of you can just take your phone out and you can look back and figure out what you've accomplished. I read this this week and I thought it was interesting that our, our technology helps us keep a check on what we've accomplished or what we've not accomplished. And this is what this guy wrote. He said, our calendars, you can go back and look and see what you did. Your messages tell you who you've done it with. Your maps tell you where you did it. Your food tells you what you ate. Your food app tells you what you ate. Your bank account tells you how much it costs. And your social media account tells you if anybody else cared that you did what you did. So what have you accomplished this year? I think one of the reasons that we have a hard time figuring out what we've accomplished is because for a lot of us and a lot of times in our life, we actually have a hard time sitting down and reflecting. We have a hard time sitting down and reflecting because we're not exactly sure how to reflect sometimes. We're not exactly sure what our focus needs to be sometimes. And in a, in a, in a life that the days just seem to move faster and faster and faster, the years go by quicker and quicker and quicker, it's easy to lose focus. And it's easy to forget what our 
purpose really is. Of course, then the spiritual segue to that is then enters Jesus into your life. You know, when you read through the Scriptures and you read through, I don't know, if you back up and before you get into the time of Jesus, if you read through the prophets, you see that the people of Israel were struggling. They were struggling with their direction. They were struggling with their identity. They were struggling with remembering what they were supposed to accomplish, who they were supposed to be focused on, what their life as individuals and as a nation were supposed to be about. And, and so these prophets would kind of come in and out, and they would, they would preach this repentance. You know, or God would say, hey, look, you're in a bad place. You're in a bad way. You're in a bad direction. Please come back to me. And that was his message over and over and over and over. And they had just completely lost their way. And by the time Jesus shows up, some, uh, by the time Jesus shows up, the people of Israel had become so ritualistic that their faith was about their rituals and not about their God. And so Jesus comes in and a lot of his teaching, a lot of the things he talks about is about getting back to your focus being on God. And the same is true in our life. If we're not careful, we can get so focused on so many different things. We can get so focused on uh, uh, sports. We can get focused on hobbies. We can get focused on family. And these things in and of themselves, they're not bad things. But how do they fit into our calling? How do they fit into the direction that we're supposed to be moving? And so I ask you that this morning. What are you focused on? What have you accomplished? What are you really plugged into? As you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus comes in and establishes himself as the one, the person, the God that the people of Israel needed to be looking at, that the Jews needed to be following. He established his godliness in so many different ways. But just in the book of John, and we've looked at some of these stories together, not necessarily all of them, but if you look in the book of John, uh, in John chapter 2, he turns water to wine. In John chapter 4, he heals um, the, the, the royal official son. And in John chapter 5, you see him healing the paralytic at the pool. In chapter 6, he's feeding the 5,000. Later in chapter 6, he's walking on water. In chapter 9, he's healing a man who was born blind. And as we talked about last week in chapter 11, he's raising Lazarus. So he comes in and he says, I am God because of the, not just the things that I say, not just because I claim it, but I'm giving you these signs. I'm doing these miraculous things to prove to you that I am worthy of you following me. I am worthy of being the focus of your life. And today, as we get into John chapter 15, Jesus is going to say, I am this, I am the vine. We're going to talk about that. And he says, I am this. And because of that, we are something. Because of who Jesus is, we then are something. We're going to talk about that something that we are as we go on. So open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and, and let, me, let me set the stage for, for what we're fixing to talk about. So in John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, really you back up uh, and, and go really into chapter 13. So in John chapter 13 and 14, Jesus is... Um, celebrating his final Passover with his apostles, with those closest to him. They're remembering those things that are so important to their faith as Jews and as Israelites, and, and the remembrance of the Passover moment in their history all the way back to Egypt. And 
He's had this moment where he's washed their feet. He's predicted his death. He's taken Passover with them. Judas has gotten up and he has left to go betray Jesus. Uh, and, And he's promised the Holy Spirit. He's comforted the Holy Spirit. And then, then at the very end of... Um, verse, uh, very end of 14 and verse 31, the very last phrase in that verse says, come now, let us leave. And the next location, the next location that we find uh, Jesus and his apostles from the upper room that we read about really in scripture is going to be where? They're going to be in the garden. That's the next location of um of, of major action, if you will. But what they had to do is they had to pass through the city to get out to get to the garden. And the conversation that Jesus is fixing to have with his disciples, his apostles, is taking place, scholars say, in the midst of that, um, in the midst of that walk. And one of the things that they come upon, and Josephus talks about this in some of his historical writings, is in the temple court, there was this huge vine. There was this huge vine. And and throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, especially through the Old Testament, in a couple of different places, in Isaiah 5 and Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 17, Hosea verse 10, God calls the people of Israel His vine, the vine. And the idea of that is, is that is who they belong to. That was their connection point to God. And Jesus is, is, is possibly, and I think the visual connects either way, but a lot of scholars think that this happened as they walked by this vine in the temple court. And he looks at this vine, and he sees the, the imagery of that, of the people of Israel being called the vine of God, even though so many times he says, look, you are my vine, but you're not bearing fruit. You're not doing what you need to do. You're not, you're not who you need to be anymore. You're defined by so many other things than just me. He keeps referring to them with those things throughout the, the prophets. So as they're walking by this, Jesus takes this as a teaching moment. And starting in verse 1 of chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If in my love, I'm sorry, if you, if you love me, keep my commands. If you will remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's command and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is none 
than this, to lay one's life down for his friends. My command is this, love one another. What a great way to end that idea. So, as we get into this particular passage, it's easy for us to look at this verse, and I believe that this particular I am statement, I believe this particular I am statement sometimes gets overlooked because there is a vagueness, okay? He is the vine, I am the branches. Okay, that's, that, that's, a, that's a great kind of imagery there, but sometimes it's hard for us to really say, okay, but what does this mean for me? Uh, okay, he's the vine, I need to be connected to Jesus, okay? Um, but when you think about the entire kind of process, when you think about everything that's going on and the connection of the Israelites and the connection of the idea that they were the vine of God, he's coming in and he's saying, I am the perfect vine. Everything that the people of Israel were supposed to be, that is who I am. He encapsulates everything that the nation of Israel was ever supposed to be. He is the perfect Israel, if you will. And he's looking at his, his followers, he's looking at his core guys, and he's saying, in all these things that you're about to do, and all these things that you're about, all these things that you've heard, the most important thing for you to always realize is that you have to be connected to me. I have to be the grounding point of everything that you do. And that message has not changed at all in 2,000 years. For us sitting in this room right here in this moment, our lives in every way, the most important thing in our lives in every way is for us to be connected to Jesus. That that needs to be what defines us, not the name on the building. Sometimes I was... Um, I was, when I was in Arkansas, I don't even remember what I had preached this day, but this lady came up to me and she looked at me and she said, well, I am traditional, conservative, old school church of Christ, and I have yet to figure out what you are. And I thought, that is a lot of definitions for yourself. Traditional, old school, conservative, church of Christ. And my only response was, well, I just try to be a Christian. And how many times, if we're not careful, do we define ourselves by words and titles that have nothing to do with Jesus? Old school, traditional, conservative. Do any of those words truly have anything to do with Jesus? If we really look at them, no. They, they define our personal views a lot of times. They define our personal understandings of Scripture. But Jesus said, it, it doesn't matter these words that you create. Where you go to church doesn't, that's not your ultimate definition. What defines you above everything else is if you live in me. And I am a soul believer that if we define ourselves by Jesus above everything else, then everything in our life will be where it needs to be. Do you believe that? If I define myself by Jesus and nothing else, then everything else that I do in my life, everything I practice, everything I preach, everything I teach, everything I'm involved in, everything I believe is going to fall where it needs to fall because my number one primary focus is who? Jesus. And that's what he says here. He says, all this other stuff doesn't matter if you're not plugged into me, if I'm not your grounding point, if I'm not the most important. It has to be about Jesus first and foremost every time in everything and in every single way. Going to our next passage here. Our next passage comes 
I'm from Philippians chapter 3. And Paul says this, he says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, okay? He's talking to the Philippian church about, you know, who he is in his Jewish faith, all right? Who he is in his Jewish faith. He says, though I myself have reason for such confidence, he's, he is a Jew of Jews. If someone else thinks that I have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's in this, 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 this earthly argument of who is better. And he's saying, if we're in this earthly argument of who is better, Paul says, I win every time, hands down, circumstances size on the eighth day the of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He said, I was doing all the things right. I was checking all the boxes just like I was supposed to. My doctrine was impeccable. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of who? What does it say? Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain who? Christ. If the things that we're doing in our life is not centered and focused and plugged into Jesus above everything else, Paul says those things are what? Garbage. Garbage. How many of you want to define things in your life as garbage? Things that are so important to you. Things that are so vital to you. Things that you think define you. And Paul says if those things are not centered and grounded in God first, he says they're trash. They're trash. In Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So what we get to here today is that followers of Jesus, we are the branches. He says, I am the vine, and then that makes me a what? A branch. So I have to do something as, as, as a branch. I have a job. What is my job to do? Is to produce what? Fruit. My job is to produce fruit. And as a child of God, as a child of God, I'm going to produce fruit in a couple of ways. Okay, I'm going to produce fruit in a couple of ways. The first is this. I produce the fruit of character. I produce the fruit of character. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is the fruits of the Spirit. It says, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are, are, are fruits of the Spirit, yes, but these are defining qualities that we should have as children. That if we're connected to Jesus, these are going to be the things that describe and define who we are as a person within our own character. If you look at these things and you go, man, I tell you what, I'm kind of struggling with some of these. I'm not always perfect in these. This doesn't describe me at all. Then you need to ask yourself the question, am I plugged in where I need to be plugged in? Am I grounded to what I need to be grounded into? Am I truly a, a branch on the right vine? We are people who have good character because of our fruits. The next idea here. Is, is discipleship. That another fruit of following Jesus is, is being His disciple. Is, is going out and doing the things that He has called us to do. And I, and I love this verse, and it's easy to maybe, to maybe say, well, this isn't connected, but I think it is. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And what He's telling His men that are standing around Him saying, hey, there's things to do. 
It's time to get busy. It's time to get busy. Uh, when we lived in Arkansas, Arkansas is, is rice and soybean country. I mean, that is, that is the industry in that area, rice and soybean country. But once the harvest is out, once or, or in or however you want to say it, once harvest is over, you know what those guys do for the next three months? Hunt nonstop. Most of it's duck hunting. I mean, that's all these guys do. Most of these farmers, they duck hunt for three months. And it's easy for them to look at and go, hey, I, have this, I, have, I can wait. I've got time to rest. I've got time to relax. But boy, when it comes time to work, it's like they're, they're on it. The fun's over. It, it's time to work. And Jesus says, if you're not careful, you have that same mindset. I have plenty of time to do what Jesus wants me to do, to do what Jesus has called me to do. But we've already made the statement that time seems to pass what? Faster and faster and faster. And the truth is, every day we're running out of time. And Jesus has said, open your eyes and look. I've got things for you to do. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's time to get to work. And if I'm a Christian and I'm connected to the vine, I am producing the fruit of discipleship. Or another way you can say it is I work. I'm a worker in the kingdom. And if you're, a, if you're a church attender, but not a worker, are you producing fruit? That's an important question to ask. Am I a disciple or do I just go to church? I want to produce fruit in a positive way. And so how do I do that? All right, How do I get to this place to where I am producing fruit the way I'm supposed to? And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of our time here. How do I produce fruit. I have to be loyal to Jesus. So how am I loyal to Jesus? How do I, how do I show Jesus? How do I show uh, my church family? How do I show my friends that Jesus is the number one thing in my life above everything else? Well, he talks about it in our text. So Jesus is our, is our vine. We are the branches, and this is what he says to do. He says the first thing is this, be pruned by the word. Be pruned by the word. If you go back and look at the very first few verses, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as, also, uh, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. How do we, how do we judge ourselves? How do we self-evaluate? It starts by the Word of God. It starts by the Word of God. There is probably not another book that is closer to us in physical distance in our life than the Bible in many ways. Um, most of us, because of our phones, because of our technology, we carry a Bible with us everywhere we go. But at the same time, if we're not careful, that thing that is closest to us physically can also be the furthest from us spiritually. We could see it, walk by it, look at it. Some of you may be guilty of, of not picking up the Word of God unless you're walking out the door coming here. And then, and grateful that you have it here and that you open it here, but do you take it home and do you allow God to, to prune? He uses the phrase, allow the Word to wash you. 
Allow the Word to wash you, to cleanse you, to take the dirty things out of your life. That Galatians 5 passage of the fruits of the Spirit. Prior to that, he talks about and lays out a lot of um, things about the works of the flesh. That's one of the things that I like about Paul, the way that Paul writes. Paul writes in a way that he says, I understand that uh, some of you are going to get this and some of you are not going to get this. He's like, I understand that some of you understand the big picture and I can, I can talk in broad strokes and you're going to get it and you're going to understand but then there's sometimes that Paul has to be real specific and he says, this is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin, and he goes down the list because some of us need that, right? Some of us need to look and have that checklist, if you will, and go, okay, am I involved in this? Am I involved in this? Oh, okay, this is something I'm doing. I need to pay attention to this. And Paul writes in that way, and I love that he writes that way. But we don't understand those things or we don't find those things a lot of times unless we open the Word of God and what? Read, unless we open up the Word of God and read. Let me ask you a question. Let's put it this way. The, uh, one of my favorite phrases of Jesus comes from the Sermon on the Mount, where he says that we have to hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. But I love the phrase hunger and thirst because... If I'm hungry, what's Matthew going to do? Eat. How many of the rest of you, if you're hungry, what are you going to do? You're going to eat. If you're thirsty, what are you going to do? You're going to find something to drink. But he takes that physical thing that we understand, and he says, you need to hunger and thirst after me, after my good things, after the right things of God. And I think about that with the Word of God in such a powerful way, that we should hunger and thirst for this book should hunger and thirst for it. And that when it's not part of our daily routine, when it's not part of our week, that we feel hungry, that we feel like it's missing. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you, when I'm through preaching today, you've got one specific particular thing that you've got to go do when I'm done? When church is over, we go what? Eat, eat Mexican. Is that what you said? <laughs> we go eat lunch. We go eat lunch. Now, what would happen... What would happen if we treated the Word of God like, no, I'm back up. What would happen if we treat lunch on Sunday like some of us treat the Word of God on Sunday and the rest of the week? What if lunch, after this service is over, is the only time you eat the rest of the week? How's your week going to be? How are you going to feel come Thursday? How many of you are going to be grouchy tomorrow? You're going to have those hunger pains. You're going to have that, that, uh, that, that, that aggravation of, I'm, I'm hungry, and that's the only thing I can think of, and it's, always, it's just ruining my day that I can't have anything to eat. Okay, and, and what if today was the only day all week long that you got to feel your hunger and your thirst, and you had to wait till next week? Y'all would be some grouchy people come next church service. If I preached for 40 minutes next week, Y'all would jerk me off this stage, offer the invitation for me, and leave. Like, that'd be it, right? But God says, hunger and thirst after me, and fill yourself with me. And as you do that, you're going to be able to cut the bad things out of your life that doesn't need to be there. You're going to be able to prune yourself, wash yourself. And if you're taking notes, I want to give you three things. It's, it's, it's real, I get it. Sometimes, my other Bible's up here too. I got, I got two up here. Um, this one's bigger, so it works better. 
This is a big book. This is a big book. In this particular Bible, uh, this is my study Bible. There, there's over 2,000 pages of information, not just scripture, but just information of different kinds in, in this Bible. Over 2,000 pages. And you know what that can be? That can be intimidating. I get it. The Word of God can be intimidating. Someone told me one time, they're like, um, you know, being a preacher is great, but it's not a real job. And um, I, I just was like, well, how many other jobs do you have to become an expert in foreign languages, foreign cultures, public speaking, motivational thoughts, classroom management, name it. And, and we'll, we'll begin to compare about what's a real job and not what's a real job. But I say that not to brag about myself, but to say this to you. I understand that this book can be intimidating. It can be. There's a lot to learn here. So how do I learn it? How do I break it down? Uh, something that I got from a, from a conference several years ago, and, and I've taught this way in classes, but it works very well for personal Bible study. When you open up the Word of God and you go to any particular passage, there are three questions that you can ask yourself as you study to really break that passage down and begin to wash yourself with the Word, prune yourself with the Word. The first is this, what do I learn about God? If I go to the Philippians chapter 4 and I read Philippians chapter 4, I ask myself, what do I learn about God? What about God's character stands out? What about God's greatness stands out? What if God's teachings stand out? Then I ask myself the question, what do I learn about people? Meaning, what, do, what, what does he say to do with once you've got this knowledge of God, once you figure out what this says about God, how does that affect the people that he's talking to? How are they supposed to change? And once you figure that out, you ask yourself the question, what do I need to change? And that might be the hardest part of the study. What do I need to change? And how do I change it? If you take those three questions and sit down with Scripture, you can begin to take a book that is very intimidating and sometimes hard to understand and process it in a way that you become more versed in it, that it becomes more of a part of your life, and that when you're hungry and thirsting, you will figure out a way to feel that hunger and thirst. But being loyal to God means being pruned by the Word. The next thing is this, be devoted to Christ's disciples. Be devoted to Christ's disciples. He goes and he talks, and this was kind of the lesson he's trying to teach them as he's washing their feet, but he talks about the importance of loving each other. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, I've been guilty of saying this before, and it's really not a Christian thing to say, but I've said it before about people. I love so-and-so, but I love it when they're over there and I'm over here. Any of you guilty about feeling that way about people? Hey, I love them. I love Jake, but I love him a lot more when he's at his house and I'm at mine and we don't have to interact with each other. Is that love as I have loved you? Is it? No. But we're guilty of that. We make up these reasons that I don't love or that I have problems or I have issues. But he just says, look, regardless of what's going on, love each other. Love each other. Paul goes on and he says, not just love each other, but be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Boy, our culture is completely opposite of that. Our culture says, me, 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 right? Take care of me. But he says, the way you honor each other, the way you love each other is I put your needs above my needs. And that's hard to do sometimes. That is so hard to do sometimes. But, but as you look through Scripture, you see, and we've been talking about community on, uh, in our class the last couple of times we've been together this is so important. Being with each other 
making our relationship with each other important and, and, and something that we live daily is something that we have to do. And so how do we do that? Well, let, let me just give you some quick thoughts. The first thing that I see in Scripture, and we talked about this last week, is, and it's something that we've been trying to do with our young adult group um, because it, it creates community, it creates fellowship. Um, but take time and plan meals with your church family. I'm not talking about fellowship meals. I'm talking about, hey, it's Sunday afternoon. I know a lot of you do. A lot of you leave here and go and eat with each other after services or at different times through the week. Make that a priority. Spend time at the table eating with people. We were talking about this this morning. It seems like when we sit down and have meals with each other, walls come down. Walls come down. Uh, We were at a a wedding back last two summers ago, I guess, and we were sitting with Chris and Steve, and um, I did not realize that Steve liked to eat as much as I like to eat. And I looked at Steve, and I said, you like to eat, so I like you. And there's just something about gathering around a meal and sitting down with each other that when you sit down and that's the focal point, walls come down and you get to know each other better. You get to know each other in a more intimate way. Spend times in small groups studying with one another. Not just in this building, but find times as Christians to sit down with other Christians and take an opportunity to share the word with each other and talk about things. Um, Some of the best Bible study that I have through the week is not um, my individual prep, but it's in in a time where I go to Jonathan or Jonathan comes to me and I say, hey, I'm trying to work through something. I've got a question about something. And we just sit for an hour and we just study the Word of God together. And another thing that's interesting about those moments and and has happened very recently in some of our conversation, those conversations get challenging because when you open up the Word of God and and one comes with their view and another comes with their view, it can get challenging because his view might be different than my view and our goal is to find God's view. And then there may be times that I have to let go of my view. And man, that's hard because it doesn't match God's view. But that happens in a great place and in a loving place when I do that with a brother that I'm devoted to. So spend time with each other studying the Word of God. And this is not necessarily a biblical thing, but as we were talking at the beginning about our calendars and things, I would encourage you to leave white space on your calendar. Leave white space on your calendar. How many of you, your week is already scheduled out for you? I mean, if your week is already scheduled out for you, and if, if there is a curveball in that week on Thursday or on Tuesday, it's going to throw the rest of the week off. Like, it's going to be a challenge, right? I think it's important for us to leave white spaces in our calendar so that we can, as we talked about last week, be that 2 a.m. friend. That I've left some room in my calendar that when you call me and need me, I've got space to help you. I'm not so dependent on everything that I've got to do that I can't, what does he say? Honor one another above yourself. It's not just about my schedule. I've got time to devote to you. All right, last thing. And maybe this is just obvious, but I think it's worth saying. Save Sunday for Jesus. Save Sunday for Jesus. How many of you remember that it was normal that nothing was open on Sundays other than church buildings? How many of you remember that? That nothing was open on Sundays other than church buildings. And I've, I've been guilty of saying this, I know, uh, and, and, and I'm glad that they do. I, I respect them for it. 
uh, but Rising Smoke down here is closed on Sundays. One of the only restaurants in town closed on Sundays. And I even made the comment one day as we were passing by, and I said, you know what? I said, they're losing a lot of business on this day. And that's just the way we think, right? It's just the way we think, man. Because we're not cooking at home anymore. Most of us, it's easier to go out and grab something and we don't mess the kitchen up and, and you know, we don't have to worry about all these things. Someone else does all the dishes for us, especially for my family. It's easy to let someone else do the dishes instead of us doing them, you know. But what if we got back to the point to where this day was just about Jesus and nothing else? See, when the first century church got together on their first day of the week, there wasn't a time limit on worship. Now, I've been ragged a couple of times since last Sunday, Ron, um, about this long sermon that I preached last week. And I, I, will, I will admit that over the, this particular series of lessons, I've been a little more long-winded than others. Um, but, but what's the problem with that? Is the Word of God not worth an extra 15 minutes some Sundays? It absolutely is. But what's the problem that we all struggle with is we're conditioned to this time last how long? How long is church? It's an hour, right? 11.30 to 12. What time we start? I don't know. I just get here. 11.30 to 12.30, right? Is that right? No, I'm not. I don't even know what time. See, I'm trying to keep you all here an extra hour. You just don't realize it. It's 10.30 to 11.30. We're conditioned. It's an hour. 10.30 to 11.30. 10.30 to 11.30. And if I go over and this worship service goes over, I'm getting into whose time? Your time. I'm getting into your time. Because the rest of the afternoon's about you. Because some of you have jobs that you, you know, try to get a head start on through the week. Some of us, uh, some of us, and, and, and we're kind of into that right now. We've got, pra- we've got ball practice this afternoon. We've got uh, projects that need to get finished before school on Monday. And so I've done everything I wanted to do yesterday, and I'm going to worry about that today. What if we did really and truly what the first century church did, and we said this day has no time limits for God. This day is just about Jesus. This day is just about fellowship with each other. This day is just about being the church. How much different would it be? How much more fruit would we produce? How much more committed would we be to God? How much more loyal could we be to God if we just said today is just about Jesus and nothing else? And what if we told people that? What if we told work if it's at all possible? And I understand some of you, some of your jobs are not that way. I, I get that. And God understands that too. But what if we said, hey, can't do work stuff today. What if we said, hey, I can't do ball stuff today. What if we said, hey, I'm, I, I want to watch football all day long, but I'm going to get this project done on Saturday, even if it means missing a half of a game so that tomorrow can be just about God. What if it's saying, I'm not going to stay out all night. I'm not going to stay up till you know 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go to bed at a good hour on, on Saturday so that Sunday morning I'm ready to meet God in the best way possible. Allow ourselves to be pruned by the Word. Be devoted to Christ and save Sundays for Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. There's nothing more important for me to be plugged into, nothing more important for me to be connected to, nothing more important to define me than Jesus Christ Himself. And that's the message He gives us today. Let's go to God in prayer as we close. God, we thank You for the chance to be here. 
We thank you for the opportunity to just open up our hearts, to open up our minds to your spirit today. May we always try our best to be plugged into you in the most important ways, to let you define us above everything, above above every hobby, above every belief, above every thought, above every job. God, be our definition. Be our vine. And help us in our life, God, to prune ourselves when we need to, to be so focused and committed to just being about you that when when things come out in us that are not about you and are not grounded in you, help us just cut them off, God. Help us to be willing to let go of those things. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus. Man to man.